Let's start off with Benjamin. What did you bring? Today, Valerie, I brought this book, which is called The Book of American Negro Spirituals. It was published in 1928 by the great James Weldon Johnson. Ooh, all right. We're going to dig into that in a moment. And Rachel, what about you? What did you bring? I brought the title of one of my favorite pop songs, which is entitled, How Do You Keep the Music Playing? Ooh, I remember hearing that song. I don't remember who it's by, but we'll hear more about that in just a moment. But first of all, I want to thank the two of you for saying yes to coming to this wonderful experience of a podcast called Not Quite Strangers. For those of you tuning in, my name is Valerie Hope. I am your host. And it's an opportunity to bring two people together who are not quite strangers. They've never met or I guess met in the last 15, 20 minutes or so and have an opportunity to A, inspire curiosity, build connection, and perhaps even challenge the status quo in our conversation. I'm so happy to introduce you to two people who I find incredibly talented individuals. And they're both flexing right now because they're sitting at their piano. So we know that something special is going to happen today. I don't know what yet. <laughs> um, Rachel, you and I have known each other for, boy, maybe six, seven years. I attend Unity Church here in Dallas, Texas. And you have been the principal pianist there for, I don't even know how long. How long have you been there, Rachel? 10 years. 10 years, gosh. And it's amazing. Anytime you, you play anything, whether it's something original or something written by someone else, I've always felt so blessed. You have such a gift for bringing life into that space, especially in a spiritual gathering. So thank you so much for saying yes to being on the podcast. Okay. Yes. And Benjamin here. Benjamin, you and I have only known each other for maybe a year. Two, that's, that's possible. Sure. Possible a year or two. And, and you and I met because we both attend and participate as faculty members to the Berkeley Executive Coaching Program. And I remember specifically the first time that I went to, I think I went to a reunion of some sort. Yeah, it was a, the coaches reunion. And they brought you in to do some, some singing and getting people really like connected to their creative selves. And then for a second, I was just like, we're singing in a coaching institute? What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but soon I saw the transformative power of music in that particular space. And just like, like Rachel, also bringing life to something that, you know, bringing people to life in that space was amazing. So thank you for saying yes to being on the podcast. Such a pleasure to be here. An hey. honor. <laughs> and for the rest of you tuning in, if you are not going to watch this whole thing, make sure that you're subscribed. So that way you don't miss this episode or any others. Go to www.notquitestrangers.com and you'll get this episode and many others right in your inbox. So you don't miss a thing. I'm going to start off though now by asking, we'll start with you, Benjamin. You brought this book of Negro spirituals. Tell us what, what is the book? What does that mean to you? Why, why do you want to showcase it today? Um, the book was uh, published by the great James Weldon Johnson and his brother Rosamond, and they were, some consider them the fathers or grandfathers of the Harlem Renaissance movement. Um, they wrote together the, uh, what was at the time called the Negro National Anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing. And this collection, which I'm blessed enough to have an original copy of, is one of the early collections of Black spiritual music that was ever published. There were a handful of collections in the 19th century, but this is the first kind of larger collection of these, these hymns mm -hmm. that were sung um, 
in the 19th century by uh, by black people before the days of um, even um, even folks having getting credit for what they wrote. So all of these were written by traditional or anonymous. These are the old the old songs, the old spirituals. How does that connect to you? Um, I feel deeply moved and honored to know these songs. I feel as though um, they were handed down from generation to generation to generation. And especially during American slavery, we're talking about a people who were not legally allowed to learn how to read and write, who couldn't write their own stories, who really couldn't tell their own stories. And singing these songs to their children was how their memory stayed alive and how they really stayed alive and traveled through these hundreds of years of history. And so um, these pieces mean so much to me because they are one of the only touchstones that we have for this three or 400 year period of history of black Americans living on this continent. Mm, beautiful. And I'm sure we'll hear maybe some of it, something from it, or perhaps something that was inspired by it. <laughs> maybe we are both at our pianos. So hey, that is true. Gonna I happen. know something's going to happen. <laughs> something's going to pop up. <laughs> and, and, and Rachel, you brought this, this song. Um, tell us what it means to you. What is it about that song that had you share it with us? Well, um, first of all, let me tell you that the story that Benjamin shared is amazing. And this is, sounds self-centered following that because it was a, such an inspirational story. But for me personally, as a songwriter and as a continuing artist, um, having to go through life aging, um, going through changes and formats of places where I've gigged at and music that I've written. This song was released, I think back in the nineties by uh, James Ingram and uh, Patty Austin. It was a duet and it was written by Michelle Legrand, the music and the lyrics were Alan and Marilyn Bergman which she had a really cool radio talk show and she would play little excerpts on the piano. For years, she had a talk show, but it's just an amazing song, the two vocalists on it. Mm. But the, the main lyric is, how do you keep the music playing? How do you make it last? How do you keep the song from fading much too fast? Mm. So I think that that's, to, to stay viable in today's world of music, but yet be true to yourself of um, the type of musician you are, the type of music you sing well, but still have meaning in the world as you go along. That to me, that's what the song means. How to keep it fresh, how to um, inspire myself or put myself in... Um, positions of new things new adventures which today is a new adventure doing mm -hmm. this podcast so that I remain open to creativity that's mm -hmm. kind of what that song means to me as soon as you said James Ingram I'm like oh I know this song yeah yes I remember it I remember it and yeah, it is beautiful and how you've tied it to how we all need to evolve, right? How do we keep, how do we keep that gift alive? And 
I think, you know, with the two of you, I mentioned already the, the passion that you bring to the art form and not just passion. Like, I think a lot of people know how to play. I mean, I took piano lessons for 10 years. I was not gifted, <laughs> really was not. I was kind of forced to, I started in the fifth, fourth or fifth grade. And my teacher there was like super, you know, fundamental, theoretic. And, you know, I had the, every good boy does fine. Like all the, the basics there. Um, but even the music was kind of like boring to me. I didn't, ugh, didn't care for it as much. And then I remember we moved around a lot when I was a kid, my dad was in the military. And so every time we moved, my mom would go find another piano teacher. And then I remember having one when I was in high school or maybe in junior high who loved like jazz and we're playing a lot of music with minor chords, which I was just like, I don't, I don't like this. It's not my style. <laughs> and then eventually my senior year of high school, which was the last year I played, I actually found a teacher at my church, at my church who played. She said, what do you want to play? What do you love playing? And I'm like, pop songs. <laughs> I like playing Broadway musical. She's like, perfect. Let's do that. And then, you know, every once in a while, some like Christian pop. And she let me play that at church for like the prelude or the postlude or something. And that's where I finally found it connected to who I was as a musician. Now, by no means that I continue playing the piano and developing that. But I, I the whole idea of tying music back to something that was meaningful was impress, impressed upon me. So I'm curious about the two of you. What what got you into becoming a musician in the first place? How did that kick off? Well, the piece that I want to um, that I want to catch that you were speaking about is um, this idea of loving it and wanting to do it and sitting at the piano because you enjoy it and because you love it and because it makes you happy to be there. Mm -hmm. That's the piece that um, I don't know, Rachel, if you've ever taught piano um, also, but that's the piece that you can't teach. You can't teach a student how to love the instrument, how to just want to be there and want to make music. And so there's this conversation that goes around a lot about you know, whenever you perform and you perform well, like, wow, you're so talented, wow, you're so gifted. Um, but it's not just talent and gifts. In fact, it's not mostly talents and gifts. It is thousands of hours of work <laughs> and it's love. It's the love of creating music is really what it is. It's not the talent, um, but what it is, is it's sitting down and loving it. Um, if the first piano lesson you had, you sat down and you loved it and you wanted to live and breathe piano every day, then everybody right now, Valerie, would be telling you, you're so talented <laughs> <laughs> because you would have spent thousands of hours creating music. True. Yeah. No one's saying that to me now, <laughs> including myself. Mm -hmm. So how, yeah, how, how did, so I appreciate that. I think that's an important distinction to make that it's not only like just talent, it doesn't come from nowhere, right? There's definitely a level of dedication and commitment that goes along with connecting it to the passion. And that, that could be said for anything, sports, be said for writing, it could be said for parenting even. I mean, there's so many right. things. Yeah. What, uh, but what drew the two of you to piano specifically mm -hmm. and or any other instrument that you play? Go ahead, Rachel, you start. <laughs> um, well, I don't think that I was a little child that wanted necessarily, to, my mother played piano and she always played Red Cells in the Sunset. I remember her playing that song. But according to her, when I was about seven or eight, she put my sister and I, which was 13 months older than myself, both in piano lessons. 
And uh, she ultimately did it to find something that I would excel at instead of my sister. <laughs> Being the older sister, she did everything more advanced than I did. So when we began, There we go. Sorry about that. We got you. You're here. You're back. <laughs> when we began the piano lessons, she was excelling over myself. And my mother went to the piano teacher and said, look, I know my daughter has talent. Um, I want you to, you know, do whatever it takes to pull this talent out of her. And mm. so I, they began, the teacher began just really challenging me with difficult pieces. And from that point on, it was never too difficult. It, it, I needed that person that would really get behind me and present these big, huge songs that you know, might have really been too much for a young student, but it was not for me. However, when when I caught on and started learning to really play, which it was classical that I started in, mm. I did love it because it was an escape. For me, it was always an escape going into a world, like you said, of love, a world of, of wonder and um, just something completely different removed from my family life. And it was a place that I existed with just myself, the song, the teacher, the audience. And then as I got older, um, I started realizing I could play by ear. And so I piggybacked mm. that onto it. And then years later, I married the two, the, the training in piano and the playing by ear. Wow. When did you start writing your own music? Well, I was writing before I started piano. So I was writing little classical pieces when I was seven. Mm. And my mother, she, she wanted me to begin to develop the classical, which is strange because, you know, I did, that's not what I followed. I dropped out of that when I became a teenager and then started writing you know pop music religious music is that your is that your genre what what's the genre that you love oh I love a lot of things um I can remember uh gr growing up my father listened to country bluegrass music which I did not appreciate <laughs> listen to artists like Sarah Vaughn I remember she had Temptations CD that she would do so I always liked the more soulful jazzy type you know just heartfelt music and um but as as I got into singing in my 20s and stuff I loved Billie Holiday mm. loved um Ella Fitzgerald um, there's, there's been many artists like Phoebe Snow, uh, Joni Mitchell, Carol King was one of my very early mm. inspirations as a teenager. So it's a pretty big genre of different styles that I appreciate. It's broad, but it sounds like, you know, it's kind of to Benjamin's point earlier, you found, right, A, you had the right 
foundation, the, the people around you who could a pull out like there's something here that we need to continue to explore, and then the right instructor, in, instructor, so that she could actually challenge you in ways that were inspiring instead of intimidating to you. And then it sounds like everything just took off. Um, Benjamin, I, I see you nodding over there and mm, umming a lot. <laughs> what? Yeah. What I do you mean, want to react to that? What, what is there to say about, you know, Sarah Vaughn, Ella Fitzgerald, Billy, we're talking about the big three. There's so many wonderful, wonderful singers. And I love, um, I love the shout out to Joni Mitchell too. My mother's also a musician. So I also grew up in a musician's house, in a pianist's house. The piano was kind of the center of the house. Um, when I was coming up, a lot of my friends, the television was the center of the house and everything is kind of gathered around what's happening at the TV. And in our living room, the piano was the center of the house and everything is gathered around what's happening at the piano. And my mother loved all those uh, folk, those uh, folk revival artists of the 60s, but especially, especially Joni Mitchell. Um, Carol King is on that list as well. Um, and my mother loved um, the, the, those types, Joan Baez and sort of that, that type of music. And also Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles and the jazz singers, like you mentioned, Ella and Sarah and Billy. And so um, I've got a hot take about Joni Mitchell. To me, I feel as though Joni Mitchell is overlooked as the greatest songwriter of the folk revival movement. I think that that is, uh, I think that's a mantle that is given to Bob Dylan a little bit too quickly, a little bit too willingly. I think if you look through Joni Mitchell's category, her songwriting, she brought the lyricism. She knew how to write beautiful, amazing, mysterious lyrics. Her singing was amazing, a beautiful singer and an excellent, excellent musician, guitar, mandolin, um, dulcimer, all these different instruments she played. I really feel like she was the most complete musician of that era. I love Joni. Love Joni. <laughs> Rachel, would you agree with that hot take or do you have a different hot take on that hot take? <laughs> uh, I, I love Joni Mitchell, but uh, she's not an easy artist to emulate. <laughs> That's the truth. Carol King, you know, I can do Carol King very <laughs> So I have tended to listen to a lot more of her things. But when I did, start listening to Joni Mitchell it was oh it was in my late 20s I, I was just blown away I mean I had heard her pop hits like Freeman and Paris and those kinds of songs but as I really got into exploring the material on her you know releases it's amazing plus now that I'm older I've watched documentaries on her and her her whole life the way she's been surrounded by so many great love affairs with these wonderful other musicians. She's lived the life of a quintessential artist her, her entire life. A very interesting person on top of being a musician. Very deep person. All right, so you both agree on the hot take. It sounds like there's many more layers than have actually been given credit for. Uh, Benjamin, I wanna come back to you for a second. What, so you said you were surrounded Right, your family was really, uh, the piano was the, the central focus for your family. What got you into playing and actually developing this as a, as a gift and passion for yourself? I, um, I took piano lessons because it was sort of the thing to do at first. Um, I liked it enough to keep doing it, but I hadn't caught the bug yet. And so for like so many other elementary school kids, taking piano lessons was just one of the things that was happening. Mm -hmm. And um, I had great piano teachers, but it was still mostly just the thing that was happening. And that was true until um, 
maybe about middle school age, maybe about 11, 12, 13 years old. And for me, it was when I discovered jazz. Jazz music was the music that changed things for me. The idea that you can sit down at the piano, at the time piano was all I played, you could sit down at the piano and just make music happen. And that you didn't necessarily need to have music in front of you, sheet music in front of you. You didn't necessarily need to have a plan that you could just sit down and let a thing happen. Mm. And around that time, I started doing what I called journaling, where I would sit down at the piano and I would play however I felt. And that would be, that would be my journal entry for the day, right? Mm. So that's just a matter of, of just sitting down. to sit down at the instrument and make something happen. That sounded a little bit more like a hymn. Uh, my, my style has changed a little bit over the course of time, but um, just to journal, just to sit down at the piano and let the piano play itself. And that, that was the big, once I learned that you didn't have to read music to make music, but that reading music is just, is just a way in. It's just one of the ways in. And there's many different ways into creating something beautiful. And mm -hmm. once you realize that you don't necessarily need to have the gatekeeper of what some composer a hundred years ago told you you're supposed to play, but that you can just sit at the instrument and make it sing, uh, that, that changed everything. I was probably about middle school age. Wow. All right. So what you just played now, what, what mood was provoked by that? Uh, what, what do you think, Rachel? How, how am I feeling today? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it has a, like a, movie theme kind of sound to that song to me but and i um, where'd my pedal go but i could i could hear everywhere you were going and that the same thing has happened for me exactly how you described it mm. yes yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm a pisces so everything is taking place in a movie right it's all <laughs> <laughs> life's a stage yeah <laughs> Okay, so Rachel, how do you feel? Tell us through your keys. Um, well, just as Benjamin described this, it's it's very spot on. Uh, my first CD that was just three songs that I did way back, several years back, was called Song Telling. Mm. And that truly is a lot of what you do at the piano if you know how to just freestyle play exactly what we just heard the, it evoked that feeling in you um for years before i started singing i just was a pianist and i played in you know hotel lobbies and weddings and and i would find myself beginning a song a specific written song and many, many long hours in those hotel lobbies, especially at the Fairmont, I would sit there and write music all night on the piano. Hmm. And um, over time, um, this was way before cell phones. <laughs> so I, I lost many compositions that just came and went. It just came out 
the ethers and it returned to the ethers mm -hmm. because you don't necessarily remember those things later unless you have the the recording rolling as you're doing it but I love the idea of uh, piano journaling because pretty much if I sit at the piano and I just begin to play there is a melody or there is some structure that begins to happen that I didn't I didn't think of or I'm not necessarily trying to go a certain direction with the song um there's there's another way of writing music too that's much more deliberate where um i want it to you know have more of a pop sound or i want it to be more r&b and in those instances it's definitely a more thought out the chord changes and things but i love just letting the freestyle piano melodies and musings just come out of my heart as well. Mm. I love this idea of, of song telling, piano writing. Now, I wouldn't necessarily do it that way, but what it inspired in me is, is actually identifying. I love music, so I wake up to music. I go to sleep to music. I play music throughout the day. And what it tells me is maybe I should just journal what songs I played that day. Like mm. I do that for the year. I have playlists for my year. And for many years I would take these playlists and I would make I burn CDs and give them to my friends at the end of the year. Like they're, this is you know my year of whatever emotions or whatever experiences I had. And they all had different themes. And I still do that with playlists. I don't send them out anymore, but I think you guys just gave me an idea of actually capturing what were the songs of the day that really spoke to me? Because I think that would be very telling. And I don't like journaling. <laughs> like I don't, the, the act of writing down like what I think and feel, it seems so tedious, but I, would, I can spend hours looking at my playlist and playing different songs. And so I think that would be, thank you for that challenge. And uh, <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that you're speaking to, Valerie, is um, you know, this, this having a playlist that kind of goes through your day and having music to wake up to, music to, music to go to sleep to, music to wake up to um, and kind of having the music follow you through the day. And one of the things that I believe that we've lost over the course of generations is it used to be that we created that music ourselves, mm. right? That people sang songs when they woke up in the morning, people sang songs when they were doing their dishes, when they were sweeping the floors, that there were, there were songs that you sang while you were doing the laundry, that there was just so much music making that happened in the mundane, small little moments of human life. Most of us have grandparents who sang around the house or great grandparents who sang around the house. If you go far enough back, somebody was singing around the house. Um, and if you look at more traditional cultures and more tribal cultures, there's songs that accompany everything. You know, there, there's music that accompanies everything and you become your own soundtrack. And one of the things I regret about where we're at in music now is there's this American Idol, you get voted off the island if you're not good enough. It has to be super well produced in order to count. Mm -hmm. And then we have the vast majority of people who think that they can't make music because music is, is a certain type of elevated creation and mm. that they're, it's not just not meant, meant for them. Um, and my belief is that music belongs to everybody um, mm. and that we can all create it and that we can all be a part of it. And we can still wake up this morning 
with a woke up this morning song, right? <laughs> I woke yeah. up this morning with my mind, stayed on freedom, as they sang back in the civil rights movement. And that mm. we can still do that. Um, there are, don't have to be rules about when you sing, uh, depending on who you live with in your home, of course. <laughs> yes, that is true. Rachel, I noticed you, what, what are you thinking about right now? Well, the, we do that song at our church, but I had mm -hmm. no idea that it went back that far. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah, I love it because it's very gospel-y. Uh, <laughs> strangely, when I was in my 20s um, and very first starting to write music, I had this uncle that would visit yearly. And I had written a song called Jesus, Jesus. I wish I could go. I, I've got it in a journal somewhere. I'll find it one day. But he had heard me singing that song. And he said, oh, you, we, we have to take you to New Orleans tonight. Of course, he was having, he had a few cocktails. He wanted <laughs> to get in the up to New Orleans. Um, so there's always been a little bit of that overflow of that gospel-y thing mixed into the, the training in the classical. Mm. For me, it's just been a big grab bag of a whole bunch of different styles that kind of come together. So it's been difficult for me to label myself a certain type of artist. Mm. And um, going back to what Benjamin was talking about, I've had so many friends tell me, oh, you have to go way back, Star Search. You need to go on Star Search. You need to go on The Voice. I said, no, no, you know, that's not for me because it is definitely a stereotype person that wins it. Every time it, it's a certain type of a vocalist that has the runs, the polish, Mm -hmm. and um it's always the vocalist i mean it rarely features a um, musician songwriter singer in in that lineup so uh it's been very interesting to keep myself relevant in today's time what you're speaking of because so many people do think of talent and a singer in a, in a, in a box. Mm -hmm. And so few of them are the Joni Mitchell type, or I, I think in today's world, if you had that era of those artists come out, they might not be understood or appreciated like mm -hmm. they were. Then. I can imagine, you know, I'm curious, I'm going to take a little bit of a turn here. How does, how does race and ethnicity or your culture, your upbringing, how did that influence the music that you're drawn to or the music that you now express? Because both of you have alluded to all these different genres of music and your, you know, your family, traditional, you know, the, the, the type of uh, music that you listened to when you were being, you know, when you were children. But I'm curious about how does that play a role today? Both of you express the importance of just being self-expressed through music. What are you hearing this, these days for yourself? Um, well, I was, I was very fortunate to grow up in a multiracial family and a multiracial community and a multiracial church. Um, and so um, there's the music. Uh, my mother is white and she loved um, both white and black music and other types of music as well uh, from the 60s and 70s when she grew up. Um, and I have only 
And then I fell in love with jazz, which is originally a black art form. Um, and um, I was raised alongside, I have a dear friend named Ayani, my best friend in the world who I call my sister. Her grandfather, granddaddy Hannah was named Sirolan Hannah. And he was one of the jazz piano players that come out of Detroit. And he played with Sarah Vaughn. And uh, he played in the Thad Jones Mel Lewis Orchestra and he played with Charles Mingus. He was a brilliant, brilliant pianist from that era, bebop pianist. And so he was around the family. And so we got to have jazz royalty in the family also. And so, and my mother sang some opera. So I've got an opera singer on one side, I've got jazz royalty on the other side, it's all mixed up. Um, but really teaching and learning specifically the music of black history is something that's been more of the passion of my adult life. But I'm, I feel so blessed to have a multiracial upbringing and a multiracial understanding of what music can be. Um, the more that I discover about music, the more, to Rachel's point, the more I discover about music, the more I feel like it's hard to put any of it into a box. And that even the idea of, because music, the, the, the charts used to be segregated in the same way that housing used to be segregated. So there used to be a pop chart and what they called a race chart. And the rate, if you were a, if you were a non-white artist, your music was on the race chart, which later became the rhythm and blues chart. But it didn't matter what genre of music you were doing, if you were not white, you were on the rhythm and blues chart up until I believe the 1950s, when um, the first artist started to cross over. Uh, people like Fats Domino started to do songs that would cross over and white audiences would listen. Anyways, that all aside, I feel like people creating music today are are outside of these boxes more actually um mm. there's such a deep like black music has infused american society so much that white artists are creating music that is fundamentally black music without even realizing it just because mm. of how deeply it's all embedded and so i actually really uh i appreciate and celebrate the multiracial nature of music uh, in, in these days. I'm not for more segregation uh, in music. Although, as I said, I have a deep appreciation for historic art forms that do come out of certain communities. Mm, that's very profound. And I think, you know, as I listen to you and Rachel, I'm gonna come to you in a second. I'd love to hear the same from you. My upbringing also is very different. I'm from Panama originally for the music that we grew up listening to was in another language, you know, salsa. We listened to some Latin jazz. We listened to, my mother um, also loves opera. She said her father used to listen to opera quite a bit too, although it's not necessarily a Latin American art form, let's say, at least historically. But also she would listen to like Barry Manilow <laughs> and Barbara Streisand. And we listened to like, you know, pop, Michael Jackson, you name it. So growing up, there were so many different influences. And to this day, what I'm moved most by with music is listening to music. Like this morning, for example, I tell you, I woke up to music. And so this, I'm listening to this song called Stand By Me by a Japanese pop group. I don't understand the lyrics. I have no idea what they're saying. Although I know they have a video with the translation. I haven't even watched the, I don't even look for the lyrics in English, but there's something about the rhythm and the sound that's so appealing to me that gets me out of bed like this. So that's why I listen to it. But it moves me to hear music in any language all over the world that still moves me. Like the lyrics don't matter that much. Now, Granted, if I understand the lyrics, I'm listening, that part of my brain is also capturing, like, what are they talking about? And if I like what they're saying or not, 
it's in there. But generally, if I don't understand it and I still move by the music, that's, I think, the most amazing thing. You can be moved by something. You have no idea what they're saying. That's the power of music as far as I'm concerned. Um, and so, yeah, racially and ethnically for me, it's not been, I've been exposed to a lot more, unfortunately or fortunately, and not um, the Negro musicals, for, Negro spirituals, for example, I didn't get into until I was in high school because the church that we went to was predominantly black mm -hmm. at that point in time. So there was a lot more gospel that was saying there, but I mean, it was like this much in the history of music that I had. So it wasn't something that is innate within me but I've learned to over time appreciate. Uh, I, so Rachel, I'm curious about you, for you culturally, what, when you think about your you know, racially, ethnically, culturally, whatever area you wanna look at, how has that influenced the music you play or listen to or how you express yourself? Well, I have always felt like I messed out by not coming up in a black church. <laughs> They'd probably my dream to sing in a in a choir like that. I mm. mean, it's just so fun. Just all the the voices and the harmonies and the richness of of the voices. Uh, I came up in a in a white Methodist church. As a matter of fact, I, my mother reminded me of the story the other day that they lost their church organist when we were going there. I think I was 10. And somehow I got thrust up on the stage playing the church organ with the feet pedals. I have no idea how I could have. I, I think I would run the other way now at this age. But, you know, the youth, when you have youth on your side, you, you don't know that you can't do things. So I did it. Um, but that kind of music, I never really, uh, it didn't move me at all. I don't think until I really started hearing things that were more soulful, like Carol starting out, but then also not just that. Um, strangely compared to what you're saying, Valerie, which is that it's the music when I very first started getting into pop music as a teenager, it was the lyric, you know, it was Elton John, you know, Tiny Dancer, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. And I still, to me, I think Elton, he's just, he's the king of uh, pop songwriting. He's mm. yep. better than Elton John. Um, but now, as I've matured and gotten older and older, I'm definitely am more drawn to what I would call blue-eyed soul music. And, you know, it's, it's R&B has influenced white artists so much, starting out with groups like um, Daryl Hall and John Oates. You know, they were, they were the first of the blue-eyed soul groups and um everly brothers some of those songs were influenced by the black sound the black voice that i mean i don't mean it stereotypical i mean it like something to attain to is mm -hmm. how i um there we go sorry about that no worries no worries keep going but I, I, I'm a mixture, I'm a, I'm a mixed bag. Uh, you know, people tell me all the time that I do a mean Nora Jones, which she's clearly, but she's soulful, even though she's white, you know. Mm. 
So yeah. just it's a mixture. And and Nora and Nora is mixed because Nora's biological father is the great Ravi Shankar. He's Indian mixed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly right. Uh-huh. So first of all, um, I think the experiences that both of you brought to the table and it's very similar. I'm, now I'm thinking, man, I need to meet somebody that's also a musician from another continent and bring them into this conversation. So I'd love to hear like what perspective they might bring. So thank you for the idea for another podcast episode around this. Perhaps it's somebody that, you know, a couple of people from other cultures. Um, so one of the things that I'm also curious about now with you guys is what, what do you wake up to now? What, when you listen, obviously you've had all these different influences. There's a way of self-expressing through music. But what, what do you listen to to get inspiration? What, what are you, well, maybe the better question is, what are you creating for yourself? And from where are you creating? Mm. Mm. Oh. <laughs> I'll let Benjamin. <laughs> <laughs> like, mm, mm, I don't know. Um, the, mm, mm. So <laughs> for, for me, the piece that, you can't, for me, you can't enter this conversation without acknowledging how we have lived as musicians the last 15, 16 months in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, right? What do you mean by that? Um, what I mean is the whole process of what are you creating? What are you listening to for inspiration? How are you making music has so fundamentally changed. Many of us who are musicians have been in a type of survival mode over the last year and a half that's very, very different from what we usually do. So the honest answer for me is most of this last year, there has not been a lot of inspiration. There has not been a lot of creation of music. There has been a lot of sitting in front of a laptop and trying to create music to inspire people through a laptop while I am alone in my living room at my living room piano. Mm. And I can't hear other people singing along and I can't feel the energy in the room and I can't hear people clapping along. And so this has been very much like, um, it, this is, it's like running a race with while you're missing one foot. Creating music over the last year has been really, really hard. And to be honest, the process of what are you listening to for inspiration and how are you creating music? I personally, over this summer, I'm only now beginning to reconnect with music in a more authentic way because I've been trying to hustle as an artist and as a musician in a digital age looking at flat screens um, and interacting with squares on a, on a Zoom room. And so uh, um, the inspiration is only just now over the last week or two, I'm waking up with those, with those bubbling up, some melody starts to come up, some other type of thing starts to come up. Mm -hmm. But if we're not connected physically in a, in a shared humanity, to me, the music mostly shuts off and I go into work mode. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been a lot of teaching, a lot of working and a lot of trying to create something inspirational uh, to translate across a Zoom screen. Um, but but this, this was a hard year to be an artist. What do you think, Rachel? Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. um, the things, though, that always inspire me, one of the most recent in our church, uh, our wonderful organist who he and I shared the stage together, he, he passed away. And that, did, that set off a, um, this long little period of about a, a two weeks where I probably wrote about four songs mm. 
because one was not enough to capture how I was feeling about him, you know, leaving the planet and missing him and what he meant to me and, you know, what he may have meant to others and his wife. So it's, it's usually events, personal loss has always been a factor that has uh, brought music to the surface. Um, strangely, that uh, affects me a lot more sometimes than just happy times, mm. like being in love or you know just feeling good. Although I have written songs about that, but it does seem to be that loss is a it's a catalyst for a song. It, it's been that way in my life. But as I've matured and as I've grown more spiritually. Um, I'm able to take the loss and shape it into a way that is a, is a feel-good message instead of a, a sad message. Mm. Uh, but I totally agree about I haven't gigged with musicians in about a year and a half. And that is something I miss so, so much. It there's something about that when you come together with other musicians and you just, you know, do a gig and you play together and it's, it's that connection on a soul level. It's the music connection. It's the social connection. And that has been void in many musicians' lives this past year. So it, it has, it's felt like a bit of a dry spell. Mm. Yes. And that and that creating music in the face of loss. I mean, it's why blues music is what blues music is. It's why there are entire genres of music where all of the great music sort of derives, you know, Beethoven as he's going deaf, as he's losing his own way to hear his own music, his music gets more and more emotional and more and more amazing um, as he goes later in his life. And so there's always that connection between adversity and music. I haven't written a new song since April of last year um, because it was the early days of coronavirus and the, the initial hit of what was happening was inspiring some of that. Um, and then eventually the kind of reality that was beginning to set in over the next group of months, it put me into a little bit of a survival mode. You know, I was in a little bit more of a survival mode, but in April, about a month into coronavirus, I wrote a very simple, we're gonna be okay. We're gonna be okay. We're gonna be okay. We're gonna be okay. And I'll just breathe. And I'll just breathe I'll just breathe oh I'll just breathe oh I'll just breathe just breathe I wrote some songs about just finding a way to make it through. And again, taking that adversity and exactly as you say, Rachel, turning it into something beautiful, trying to turn it into something beautiful. Mm. 
Thank you for sharing that, Benjamin. Great worship song. Yeah. <laughs> and Rachel, out of curiosity, I and I know Tommy, he's the, the organist that you were referring to. Um, extremely talented. And yeah, the two of you are a power duo, really we're a power couple at our church. I'm curious if you're willing, would you be willing to share anything that you wrote as a result of that period of grieving for you? Um, well, uh, a song for us. Yeah. I wrote this one, uh, I wrote many, but uh, there's only one that I have in front of me right now that I brought. Sure. Uh, which, interestingly, it's kind of like a bossa. It, it's it has a Latin feel. It could be <laughs> song, but you know, Tommy DeSalvo loved that style of music, so it's called "Ordinary Traveler." You know, it's just saying life comes and it's, it's kind of about the fragility of, you know, it's life's intersecting. And we, we are, even if we are extraordinary talents or whatever, as human beings, we're ordinary folks, mm. you know, trying to make it in the midst of a pandemic and in survival mode. I mean, I've been in survival mode, but it, well, I'm ready to break out of that survival mode. <laughs> oh, yes. You know, and just a, more of a growing, but ultimately we do grow, even if it's just survival mode. We, we learn things and we reach a deep, a deepness within ourselves as people when we go through these, these kinds of things. Mm, absolutely you know it's interesting i think this pandemic if nothing else i mean i'm not creating music per se but i feel like i am creating connection like this podcast was born out of that need i kept hearing and and seeing in other people for connecting in meaningful ways 
And rather than just, you know, whoever's in your proximity, I mean, there's so much out there. I have some of my closest friends live in other time zones and other continents. Uh, the two of you are in separate time zones. Benjamin, you're in Oakland, California. Rachel, you're here in Dallas, Texas and Arlington, Texas. So completely different. I think this idea of us being just ordinary people <laughs> living life as best we can and that we do, you know, have an, an impact on other people by the way we live and how we show up and how we allow others to, you know, to, to give us some, to, to receive a gift from other people. I think that's the way that I would look at it, receiving a gift from others by getting into a conversation or listening to something that they have to offer, they created. Um, so I'm curious now, we're gonna, as we're gonna start wrapping things up, What's been this experience? I know, how has this experience been for the two of you? This is the first experience on a podcast, uh, but I'm curious about what you're, what you're taking from it or how it's been for you. Well, you're an awesome host. Thank you. So you've made it really pleasant and easy. Uh, honestly, I was a, a, a little bit ambivalent when you asked me. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, we always have something to say and, and we all say it in a unique, different way. Mm -hmm. That's what, what I've taken today is from hearing Benjamin talk, even though you express yourself so eloquently and you're great with words, you're a great spokesman. I so relate to everything you're saying. I get it. I totally am right there, even though I don't say it in the same way that you do or probably write the same kind of music that you do. That's lovely. Benjamin? Hey, it's always good to hang out and say hello. <laughs> it's all good. Podcast, on the streets, in the uh, choir, wherever we're at, anywhere. it's all good. Yeah. If the two of you had to describe your experience right now in music or through lyrics, what would, what would we hear? Uh, let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> we might've switched to major by now. I'm not hey. sure. quite strangers when I cried strangers when I quite strangers no no <laughs> when I quite strangers when I quite strangers Oh, we're not quite strangers. No, not anymore today. I said we're not quite strangers. No, we're not quite strangers. We're not quite strangers. No more today. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not today. <laughs> that was fun. Thank you. 
Not quite strangers. Uh, really? I, won't, I won't charge you for that one either, Valerie. All right, Rachel, go, go for it. Please remember me. I said, please remember me. When you think about today, when you think about a way we lost our way, when you think about today, we're not quite, not quite stranger. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah, so I I may have um, a theme song <laughs> in the making right now. Hey, uh, give us a call. Yeah, phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal. Well, I know both of you are prolific, right? In spite of everything that's been happening, you both have albums. You both you know, perform. I know that the limitations of performing in very very small groups or online um, has also been a challenge, but. If people are interested in hearing more of your music or connecting with you or hearing your what you've produced so far, where should they go? How do they get a hold of you? Uh, I have a silver lining for me right now, which is um, I work with a small independent record label called Love Conquered Records and, um, as Benja Soul, B-E-N-J-A-S-O-U-L. And as Benja Soul, we just dropped our first five song EP. Um, so that's really exciting. So you can look for Benja Souls Reaching um, on Spotify and other places, wherever you're, wherever you find music, look up Benja Soul and you'll find me. And then I have, um, and that's a really exciting kind of new evolving project. And then a couple of years ago, I did a, an album entirely of just black spiritual, traditional black spiritual music called Climbing Up the Mountain. And that can be found at BenjaminMurths.com. So those are the two places to look for me. Awesome. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes with the links as well. Perfect. Thank you. Rachel, what about for you? Um, also on um, iTunes and all of the regular usual places, I have a CD that I did a few years ago called City Streets, and it's all original under Rachel Abon. And one of the songs on there is uh, I Went to the Mountain. Mm, I love that. About those mountain songs, isn't there? <laughs> yes yes oh yes <laughs> and that's song that's on on the cd but it's a mixture of of different genres excellent all right and then i'll get i'll get the link as well from you rachel or email or if there's a website or something that way we'll put it in the show notes people can connect with you i know it's not the experience of playing live music or, you know, even highly produced and, you know, doing it on Zoom. But I'm so, so appreciative of what you guys brought. Any final words or thoughts or songs to close us out? I have a final word and a final thought. And that final word and thought is to anyone who made it to the end of the podcast and <laughs> is still with us today, um, support your local businesses and support your local musicians. Keep it as local as you possibly can as things are finally starting to open up again your local people need you your local down the corner store needs you your local mom and pop needs you so much right now so i know that all the online stores have been really fun over the last year and a half maybe but we need you out in the community spending your time your effort your love and your dollars with the people who live in your town and in your neighborhoods we desperately mm -hmm. need it that's my last for all of y'all support. And if you see some live music happening on a street corner or somewhere, put a little something in their hand, yeah. put a little something in that hat for a musician next time you go out and hear it. 
Thank you, Benjamin. Rachel. That's a great plug. <laughs> uh, and I agree. Um, just stay in touch with us. G give us a call and ask us where we're gigging. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to out of sight, out of mind. As musicians, we have to always find a way to continually put our face out there to, for people to even, you know, be reminded of us. Um, but we're still here. We're still kicking and breathing and trying to get back into the groove. So uh, I look forward to pretty soon being out in the Dallas scene doing some live. We're live. still here, Rachel. We're still kicking, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely feel blessed and honored that the two of you said yes to having this conversation, but I'm also sharing you know, part of your soul with us through the music that you brought, through the lyrics that you crafted, your thoughts, ideas, your insights as well. Um, so I don't take that for granted, especially meeting strangers in a platform like this. You know, I know it's, <laughs> it's not the common thing, but that's part of the reason I think not quite strangers it's such a passion for me. So I want people to know that you can go beyond what you're used to and still connect in meaningful ways. And who knows, you might have inspired someone to look at piano differently <laughs> out of that. If I'd heard this <laughs> before I went, you know, when I was 10 years old and started li listening or playing piano, I might have a whole different experience and tell the tale now, you know, decades later. So who knows what impact this will have, but I hope it's a, it's a meaningful one to not only the two of you, but to anybody that's tuned in. Thank you, Benjamin. Thank you, Rachel. You are phenomenal. For those of you who tuned into this episode of Not Quite Strangers, thank you as well. Go out and make music. Go find a way to not only you know, express yourself and your art and your talent, but also connect with those who are and let them know how much it means to you. And yes, put a little something in the cup or the hat or the case, right? If you can't, or connect, like Rachel mentioned, connect with those musicians that you know and love and check on them, see how they're doing. Our musicians are not okay. <laughs> they need to, they need you. They need you. Ah, please and subscribe www.notquitestrangers.com to listen to this and other episodes. Thank you all so much for being with us. Benjamin, Rachel, thanks again. Have a wonderful rest of the day, everyone. You've been listening to the podcast, Not Quite Strangers. Be sure to subscribe or follow on your favorite video or podcast platform. And for more information and content, go to notquitestrangers.com. See you next time.